everybody. Welcome to The Kelly O Show. I'm your host, Kelly Alexa. This show is dedicated to inspiring women of all ages to pursue excellence in mind, body, and business. After decades of playing small in my own life and staying in the comfort zone, a couple of years of massive chaos and drama in my personal and my professional life forever changed me for the better. Through some tough lessons, I evolved and I became a stronger and more confident version of myself, fearless and finally, unapologetically myself. I am now designing my life bigger and better than ever before. And most importantly, I'm designing a life on my terms that is full of joy and happiness. And I think that this is something that's been missing for so many women. They're either staying in the comfort zone like I was or they've got a life that looks pretty good on the outside, but it's missing real joy and health and happiness. And that is no bueno. I believe that the future is female. And every week this show is going to bring you incredible interviews and live shows that I hope is going to motivate you to take massive action in your life, to leave the comfort zone and go all in again, to pursue achieving excellence in mind, body, and in business. I hope you enjoy the show and let's dive in. Everybody, welcome back to the Kelly O Show. This is part two of a three-part interview with Sydney Williams. If you haven't listened to part one, make sure you listen to part one. And when you're finished with this, you know the drill. Go listen to part three. The thing is, it's like, it's just sad, frankly. Like the state of affairs regarding sexual violence in America is tragic. And the it's man that's a whole nother episode i'm just gonna i'm gonna hop off my soapbox on that one (laughs) no we really i mean you're making me realize like i i when i i mean i think i don't even know what the case was the case that came out like two years ago about the the guy at at whatever college it was who was essentially raping turner yeah and you know the parents are like that's you know they're they, it didn't even occur to them to to get angry at their son. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but yeah, it still is yeah. so prevalent. And I think that it needs to be, I mean, certainly the Me Too movement has started getting women more comfortable talking about things. Um, but, you know, when that first happened, I remember yeah. telling my man, I'm like, I don't know why I'm, I'm, cause so many people would be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're hearing about this and this. And I'm like, honestly, none of this stuff surprises me because my entire, and I, I'm sure Sydney, you too saw it. Like when you travel in, whether it's agency life or any kind of business life and you're out and about, and you're a single woman, the, the guys that are out in the corporate it's- convention world, they just think that you're like a hooker. Like they think that you are there for the taking and this, and so you end up spending all of yeah. your time in your room because if you go out, you're going to get, you know, propositions, talk to you like you're a slut. Harassed. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. So the more, the more that we can talk about this stuff and women can feel comfortable coming forward, um, the better. And then certainly also, I never felt comfortable in, in all those years that I just referenced of corporate America, when I would travel, I had men say and proposition me and come up to my hotel room and, and, you know, stalk me and do all this weird shit. And I never felt comfortable because I thought I was being bitchy. If I would say, you know, this is inappropriate, like back off. And I never, I never felt comfortable saying it. I do now, but I think it took me understanding like, this is not cool. This is not right. 
because I, I thought I, I would be a bitch if I, if I said no, if I told somebody, you know, and, or if I made a scene, like why are women not comfortable pushing back? I don't know. And, and, and certainly I am now, but that's, we've got to talk about this kind of stuff more often because I know that there's a lot of women out there like me who are just putting up with completely inappropriate behavior. And the longer that we do that, the longer it perpetuates, right? Yeah. Well, and, and you've mentioned something earlier that was really interesting that I wanted to circle back to was you were talking about how you've been talking a lot more about disordered eating and eating disorders and like unhealthy relationships with food. And it's so interesting to me because like the, like my progression through my understanding of like myself was, I was like, okay, um, I'm overweight. Why? Okay. Well, I'm eating like a 12 year old boy. Why? Right. And I just kept like, it wasn't until I was diagnosed with type two diabetes in 2017 at 31 years old that I was able to unpack why my relationship with food was so disordered. And it was at the top of a mountain where I was standing there and I was like, I had just left my six figure salary to join my friend's startup. I left my friend's startup after 95 days because I was having panic attacks every day, sometimes twice a day. And my blood sugar levels were rising through the roof. Like I quit with no backup plan, no nothing. And four days after I left like the two jobs, I was on this hike and I was standing at the summit of this mountain outside of San Diego. And I realized like, I was just so calm. And I was like, why am I so calm? Like I should be freaking out. I have no insurance. I have no money. I have no savings. We have nothing lined up. I was the breadwinner. I wasn't making any bread. Like there was <laughs> nothing. And I realized like, thanks to diabetes, I had swapped out my old coping mechanisms, which was eating and drinking my feelings with hiking my feelings. Because if I wanted to be the best diabetes patient my doctor's ever seen, because I'm a people pleaser, I like gold stars, then I couldn't keep drinking a whole bottle of wine to myself every night. And I couldn't keep having Ben and Jerry's for breakfast to numb the pain. So learning how my coping mechanisms shifted was the beginning of my journey. But I wanted to know why was I eating and drinking my feelings to begin with. And that's what helps me connect the dots between mind and body. So when you're talking about mental health and fitness and fitness and eating disorders and all that stuff, like we're starting to like peel back the layers of the onion. We're like, well, why do I like running? Okay. Why do I eat the food that I eat? Or why do I eat as much as I do? Or why do I eat in the patterns that I eat? And then it's like, okay, we can't just stop there. Like we can't say eat this, not that and end the conversation. We've got to yes. dig into the root of that behavior that contributes to these things. And that's what hiking my feelings is all about is finding the space. And it does, and it's, uh, it's always been bigger than hiking and it's always going to be bigger than my story. But for me, it's hiking and working through trauma in that this, when I disconnect from my distractions, just like running or fishing or kayaking or paddleboarding or rock climbing, like these activities where we are fully physically present with and preferably without music, without any kind of like podcast or audiobook or whatever to distract us. It's us, our thoughts, and the sounds of the environment that we're in. And that's it. And those thoughts can be scary to confront, but given the right container and the right intention going into these things, we can have some of the most transformative self-discovery of our life in these environments. That's such a good I I, I gotta write that down actually because just the way you said it, self-discovery. Um, that's a good phrase. Um, and I, and truthfully, I think so many people, that's exactly when you mentioned the, how you started dealing with your emotional eating or your binge eating or whatever, you would just say, okay, I do this. Why? 
oh, I do it because of this. Well, why do I do that? And, and that's truly what it is, is it's just you're literally almost being your own therapist. And, and maybe some of you who are listening haven't been to a therapist, so you haven't had somebody who's asked you those types of questions. But the truth is, like, it's, it's the self-discovery, it's the self-awareness where you start to look at your own behaviors and, and you'll start to notice patterns and, and you become, you know, your own data science scientist, if you will. I mean, I literally like earlier this week, or it's been in the past five or six days, I had this exact conversation about eating with, with Steve. And I said, so we, we made these no bake cookies one night. And it's this thing that we do sometimes for dessert. And we make this, it's like this recipe from my mom. She used to make it for my grandfather. They're these no-bake cookies. You make them in the... We, they don't even make it to the wax cookie sheet. We just eat like the dough. No, we, out of a bowl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> come on, get real. <laughs> it's so good. And so we'll make some of that. And then what happens is there's like a whole pan left over. And so I'll, you know, somebody's going to get mad. But yes, I'll like throw the rest of it away. But what's interesting is, so he and I were sitting down, we'd eaten dinner and that's kind of one of my rules. I'm like, I try not to snack between meals. I try to just have my dessert after a meal. It's it's more sensible. I won't like overeat. And I, I, I just find that when I snack, I will just not pay attention to how much I'm snacking. And I'm, I'm mindlessly snacking. So for me, that's what we did. But anyway, we, we ate this, some of the cookies. And I ate probably a few spoonfuls too many. And you know that feeling when you're like, oh, it you just feel like I just ate, I, I ate too much and you feel gross. You, you don't feel good. You start to get a stomach ache. And here's what's funny. I go to clean up the kitchen afterwards and I'm looking at the pot with the rest of the dough in it. And all I kept thinking is I hope Steve goes to the bathroom because I want to take more bites before I throw this down. And I was literally physically feeling sick. I knew that if I had a few more bites, it was so sweet. It would make me feel even worse but yet my brain, all my brain was thinking was, I want Steve to go to the bathroom because I want to sneak some more bites and I don't want him to see me. Now, what issues are going on there? I haven't quite unraveled, but I'm just sharing with everybody to let you know, if you can be self-aware enough to understand, like, this is what's going on in my brain and that's kind of not normal. It's not normal for me to want to eat more shit that just made me feel like shit and to do it in secret. For what purpose? Because it's going to make me feel even more bad about myself mentally. But if you can slow down and just start talking yourself through it, you go, okay, this is a little stupid. I'm not going to have it. And I did it. But too many people don't even, it, they're, they're more of a, would you say that it, it's being in a reactive mode versus being in a like slow down, breathe and understand what's going on here and then be more rational versus reactive? I think that's a good way of looking at it. If you're not getting in touch with yourself, if you're not down that that path of self-discovery, you're going through life in a reactive mode versus rational in a way. Yeah, well, and I think, so there's a couple things that came up for me when you were talking about that. And like the first one is when it comes to wellness and healing journeys and stuff like that, like there is never this destination that we reach. The journey is the work. And in this case, the awareness of ourself is the work. And I, I say that over and over with the gals that I'm working with right now is like being aware of the pattern is the work. Like you're not, you're not, not doing it. Like, like what we're doing right now is the work. Like there's not some other higher level. Like it's just doing this consistently all the time and always being in a discovery mode versus in a reaction mode, because that is what I had to learn how to temper in myself is like, what I always say, and like when people are reading my book at the very beginning, I'm like, okay, 
that everything that I talk about in this, it's something's going to trigger you. There is no part of this story that you, you will not, not relate to at least one part of my story. So when that happens, like, what are you feeling? Where do you feel it in your body? Have you felt this before? And if you felt it before, what caused the feeling then? And I encourage people, like, I'm doing this virtual book club right now that's almost over, but we're getting to relaunch as a different program. Um, like, I do a live reading every Sunday, and I'm like, hey, let's read along with me. Grab your copy. And if I read something that triggers you, if you feel something in your stomach, if it feels like an elephant sitting on your chest, um, if you feel like you need to barf or, like, like, make note of the physical sensation and the emotional uh, feeling that you're feeling and or the memory that is triggered and write it down in the margins. And then over the course of this book, you'll have all of this data for yourself about what of my story triggers you. And then you can start looking into why. Because if every time I talk about suicide, you're triggered. Do you know somebody who committed suicide that you haven't properly grieved? Every time I talk about sexual assault, if you feel like deep pits in your stomach, have you survive something that you might not have a cognitive memory of, but your body remembers because our bodies store trauma. They store memories. You hear it. If you've ever been to a yoga class, they say trauma is stored in the hips. That's why hiking has given me such a beautiful container for this work is because when I physically exhaust myself, I get to this point on a hike where I can't think about my day-to-day -day bullshit anymore. I'm not worried about raising money. I'm not worried about social media posts. I'm not worried about the board of directors. I'm not worried about building the wellness center. Like I'm just hiking. All of my day-to-day -day worries go away and then something will spur in my body, whether that's a memory or a feeling or something like that. And then I go home and I write about it and I'm able to process what that was. But without giving ourselves the opportunity to disconnect from our distractions and reconnect with ourselves, we will never get there. And you're right. I, I don't know if it's 70%. I would love to think that more than 30% of this, this world is self-aware, but maybe they're not. And that's why we're in the situation we're in um, just globally as a human race. Like mm -hmm. there's, there's a time for, you know, brushing through it and you got to do what you got to do to survive. But at some point you're going to get so tired of your own bullshit that either your body will handle it for you and will throw up red flags like a chronic illness or cancer mm -hmm. or migraines or whatever. If you're not actively paying attention, your body will start to throw up those red flags and it's up to you to be able to listen and pay attention and hear them. And when you hear them, give yourself like borderline drown yourself in compassion because we're not trained how to do this, especially not from, especially not any, like basically everybody alive on this planet today has no idea how to do this as a default unless their parents have done the work. Like I grew up with boomer parents. My parents haven't done this work. I haven't talked to them since I started doing my work because they don't want to be a part of it. I had to establish a firm boundary line in the sand that said, until you guys heal your shit, we cannot be in community together anymore, regardless of whether or not we're blood, regardless of whether or not we're family. I cannot continue to try to live up to the expectations that you have set for my life because it is doing detrimental damage to my physical and mental health. And since I established that boundary, I have blossomed into the woman that I've always known I could be, but was never allowed to be in their family in that presence. Oh, mic drop. And I can so relate because, and people have heard me talk about this uh, or at least reference it on this show before. And that's that, you know, when I began to, because of course, out of the three most horrible years of my life came the most profound inner transformation for me. I became 
Just like yep. you said, I, I became this, I am such a different woman right now than I was three years ago, than I was five years ago. Um, I have conquered for the most part, my inner people pleaser. I am so much more self-aware. Um, I love the woman I've become. Um, I am proud. I am strong. I'm you know, not the doormat I used to be. I really was a doormat for years. And, and some people are surprised when they hear me say that, but it took a lot of doing the work, getting a therapist, starting to work with a therapist and, and starting to pay attention um, to myself and, and doing the work and also realizing how I let people treat me. I didn't realize it at the time. Hey everybody, if you're tuning into this podcast and you are either A, thinking about having a podcast of your own someday, or you've already started your own podcast and you're doing your own production work, I have to recommend my podcast producer. He's got a few spots open and I told him, please let me help you get some of these business spots filled. He is exceptional at what he does. He is timely, he's professional, he is outstanding at covering up all of my screw-ups. I've been working with him for the better part of a year and a half. Can't recommend him strongly enough. And so because he's got a few spots open, I thought I would put an ad on here and let you guys know. If you are looking for an outstanding podcast producer, I've got you covered. Go to kellyalexa.com, fill out the contact me form. I'll connect you directly. I didn't realize when I was running my business that I let everybody that worked for me manage me instead of vice versa. I didn't realize how much I was not a leader in my own business. I didn't realize how much I was scared of confrontation. Um, I didn't realize how I was, you know, in a professional sense, trying to be that parent who's, who wants to be their kid's best friend versus being the parent. You know, there were so <laughs> many things I realized by right, myself yeah. when, to, to that degree, there was a lot of dysfunction in my own family on so many levels. And I had been conditioned on so many levels to believe so many things about myself uh, within my family that are just so far off, but I put up with it. And because I put up with it, these situations and, and the, the dynamic of the relationships continued. And I remember thinking, if I start standing up for myself and putting my foot down, I'm going to destroy these relationships. And the truth is, the more I stood up and just owned my truth and was boldly myself and stopped putting up with the stuff that I was putting up with before and worrying about trying to make everybody happy with me and pleased and approve of everything I did, it actually was surprising how much it, it improved those relationships. But I was willing to deal with what you're dealing with, where you had to put up a boundary and, and kind of have some separation. I give you mad respect for that. Because you do have to put yourself first in order to make change, impactful change happen. If you, you know, if you just keep trying to say, I, you know, like if you, if you had this horrible, I don't want to say horrible, I'm putting words in your mouth. If you had a, a bad situation with your parents and you felt like, well, I can't be, I can't block them. My, they're my parents. I can't not have a relationship with them. They're my parents. If you stayed there out of obligation, versus putting yourself first so that you could become this woman that you are. I mean, look at all that you're doing for so many other people's lives because you put that boundary up. You have to be willing to face potential negative consequences that I believe ultimately they'll resolve themselves, but sometimes you, you do have to be willing to make some sacrifices, but it's worth it. Would you say that it's worth it? 
hundred percent. I mean, like to me, boundaries aren't pushing people away. It's the ultimate form of love. Like I am creating this space so I can be the person that you told me I could be on my own terms. Like I, I was not quite of the helicopter parent generation. Like we still played outside and like, you know, be home before the dinner bell kind of thing. But I was told I could be anything I want to be. And I believed that. And then I went and found who I actually want to be, not some version that they created, but like, who is Sydney? What does she care about? And what, what kind of mark does she want to leave on the world? I found that person. And then I like visualized what that life would look like. And then I just allowed myself to pursue that. And I think that there's a lot, like when we're talking about trauma, a lot of the stuff that we carry isn't even ours. Like in my book, I use this metaphor of my trauma pack. It's this invisible backpack that I've been walking around through life with that's been weighing me down. And once I discovered that I had it and I had the awareness of it, then I could set it down and start to explore what was inside. And as I did, I found that a lot of the stuff that I've been carrying for my entire life isn't even mine. It's stuff that I've absorbed from my father. It's stuff that I internalized from my sister. It's stuff that my mother said to me when I was younger and stuff that her mother said to her when she was younger that just gets passed down generation to generation, these beliefs about what it means to live a life, what it means to be healthy, what it means to be a good person, um, how we show love, stuff like that. Like my reactions two things. And I say reactions, not responses, because I never paused to consider anything when I was in any kind of confrontation situation. Like if something challenged me, I'd react and I'd fly off the handle because that's what I witnessed my father do the entire time I grew up. Like he was a very passionate is he's not dead, but might as well be, I guess, because we don't talk anymore. But like he is a very passionate man who has a temper problem and has not been diagnosed as narcissistic, but has all the tendencies of a narcissist. And I'm not saying that like somebody who looks in the mirror all the time. I mean like true narcissistic personality disorder. Like I grew up in that environment and as such have reactions to things that a narcissist would have that in my most grounded, well-resourced, well-cared for healthy state, I would never respond in that way. So I had to unpack this backpack of stuff and be like, would Sydney Williams the woman that I know that I can be, the woman that I'm becoming today, who's kind and empathetic and compassionate and wants to make this world a better place, who's confident in herself and not insecure, would she respond in this way? No? Okay, cool. Then how would I respond? How do I want to show up? And I had to retrain myself how to be in relationships with people. Like my husband, man, he's a saint. He's been married to 10 different versions of Sydney. Like there's no <laughs> shortage of change in this relationship because I've been like, and I wasn't like some shitty human when we met, I was still me in some sense, but there's been so much of like what truly makes me, me has been suppressed because of the trauma, because of the expectations of society, my parents, the expectations I put on myself that as I've been just like peeling back the layers of this onion, I'm getting closer and closer to who I think I truly am. And at the end of the day, these boundaries aren't, aren't to hurt anybody. It's to provide space for me to grow into that and for them to grow through what they need to grow through. And if they're not ready to face it, I can't force them to. All I can do is choose to live my life the way I want to live it in a way that I feel is compassionate and makes the world a better place. And if, if the way that I heal isn't something that they want to pursue for themselves, like I can't force them to. But I also... I'm not required to be in community with people who don't understand me, who want to keep me small and dull. Like I cannot continue to contain the shine that was meant to be a beacon of light for people who have been through similar things. Like I am here to light the way 
for folks that have been through the things that I've been through. I am the person that I needed five, 10, 15 years ago because I never had a me in my life. So as I've been growing and as I've been learning and as I've been doing all this very publicly, like this is a journey. Life is a journey. I my feelings is a journey. Like there is not some destination where I'm going to stand on the top of the mountain and be like, this is it. Now I'm done. Like this is a lifetime's worth of work. And that can sound so daunting when we're so used to instant gratification in today's society, but knowing that you have the rest of your life to unpack this stuff and work through it and discover how it shows up in other ways is, should feel like a big relief like a big weight off your shoulders because you don't have to have it all figured out right now. It is good enough to be aware and to continue the awareness because again, the awareness is the work. Oh my gosh, this is such good stuff. And I, I love that you said, because it, it made me think of some of the decisions I've had to make um, with cutting, you know, for lack of a better term, cutting people out of my life, putting boundaries up and, and realizing like there were just some people who, you know, I met in the business space, you know, some of these people we might have in common, we might know both of them or both know them. And I thought of these people who originally I thought, oh, they're such a good friend. And then when, you know, I love that, that uh, quote that says, we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. And before the old Kelly O, you know, I didn't see people in when they were these opportunists. I didn't see people who were climbers. I didn't see people who were manipulating me. Um, I didn't see people who were takers. I didn't see them that way because of, frankly, how little I thought of myself and how unworthy mm -hmm. I thought of myself. I always thought I was the bad guy. I thought of myself that way in my first marriage. I was like, you know, I have to be the perfect wife. I have to be, you know, it, perfectly on point with how I look, how much I weigh, how much sex I give him, how I clean up the house, how I, I don't give him anything to bitch about. I have to be perfect because I'm not worthy. I mean, ultimately back then I thought I'm not, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough of him. And I've got to make, make it so that he never wants to leave me because nobody else will ever want me. And even with friend relationships, there are people who I have cut out of my life because when I finally was able to see them for who they really are, and I realized I didn't enjoy our friendship. I didn't enjoy, there's this one woman who every time I had a conversation with her, I would get off the phone going, why do I even talk to her? Because all she does is criticize <laughs> everything I say. She thinks that she knows, like if I would say, oh, I, I know this person and you know this client is, I'm bringing this client on board and it's at Pepsi. And she'd go, let me look them up on LinkedIn. And she'd go, oh, I know somebody higher up than you do. And I'm like, I, oh, geez. this is a contest. And I finally, yeah. it was a big deal for me to go, you know what, Kelly, you don't have to be friends with her out of obligation just because she wants to some in some way be. And, you know, I remember when I kind of like, cut her out of my life. It was the best feeling ever when I finally realized like I haven't had a talk with this woman in nine months and it, my life is better for it. Like give yourself permission to cut things out of your life, cut people out of your life that aren't. And it's not about like you only, I think people misinterpret this and think, oh, am, are you saying you only allow people in your life who give you presents, give you compliments? Like it's this fake Stepford life that you're creating. And that's not true. It's just what? that if you have toxic no. relationships, they're not going to get better on their own. And somebody's got to, you know, if, if you try to make that relationship better and it's not, then cut it out because it's only going to poison. And, and, and they really do. They are poisonous. 
Yeah. Well, and I think that, and even like, I'm just so, I'm such a word nerd and I'm so intentional with the language I use in the stories. I tell myself that like, I wouldn't even say you're cutting it out. I would say you are establishing a boundary. You are speaking your truth and you're, you're standing up for what you will and will not tolerate. And Mm. the people that don't meet those expectations and the standards that you have set for relationships in your life will naturally see themselves out. And that's just part of doing, that's just part of it, right? Like we, if, to, to the people that are like, well, does that mean you just surround yourself with people that give you compliments? Well, if that's the kind of people you attract, then yes. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. There is nothing wrong with surrounding yourself with a squad that's going to make you feel like you can do anything because frankly, we all need more of that. And there's some, I don't, I don't know if it's a quote or a study or something, but like my skydiving coach back in the day told me that you are the byproduct of the five people closest to you. So pick wisely. Mm-hmm. Because the people, the five people that you spend the most time with are going to shape how you see the world, how you respond and react, and how you just move through the, move through different situations and how you show up. So if you don't like the people around you, you're probably not going to like yourself and vice versa. If you don't like yourself, you're going to attract similar people on the same energy that don't like themselves. And then you're just stuck in this like trauma bond that's disgusting and sad because nobody has any interest in making any improvements. And that's why we see these dramatic shifts after middle school, after high school, after college, like life goes on and we evolve and change. And the people that don't evolve and change tend to stick together. And the people that do evolve and change tend to stick together. And you know what? That's fine. It's totally okay. Everybody needs community. And it's okay if your community looks like a bunch of people that are a bunch of cheerleaders, because that's what, like, frankly, I think everybody should have a bunch of people in their corner that are telling them, you got this, I love you, who also check you on your bullshit. Like, that's the kind of community that I've created. That's the kind of people I want to surround myself with. Because I don't want a bunch of yes people around me. That's stupid. That doesn't help me grow. That keeps me rooted in my own delusion. And God knows, I've got some delusion stuff going on. Like when I think about the world I want to live in, like, is it realistic? Yes. Is it possible right now? Yes. And the way that we get there is by creating it. Like if we keep waiting for other people to swoop in and save us, that's never going to happen. So that should be a weight lifted off your shoulders too. Like it's not this big burden that you have to carry by yourself that nobody's going to come save you. Hey, everybody, you've reached the end of part two of this three-part interview with Sydney Williams. I hope you're enjoying it. Make sure you listen to part three.